The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. I can't believe we're at the end of our first season together. Today's episode marks the end of Looking Up Season 1. But don't worry, we have another season full of optimism, science, magic, tips, tricks, tools, inspiration, and raw, transparent storytelling coming your way. Next week, stay tuned for a short and sweet special edition of Looking Up. Along with a reflective recap of the first season, you can expect a short and practical holistic or science-based exercise or tool to take with you into your week while you await for the launch of season two, which is coming out Monday, September 14th. And now for your Monday morning dose of optimism. Most people live in a restricted circle of potential. This is something that William James said over a century ago, but still holds true for most of us today. This limited potential is not really about lack of intelligence, skill, or opportunity. And of course, we can't discount accessibility and resources. But what we know about limited potential is that it's mostly about a lack of confidence in oneself. Today, we're talking all about self-confidence and particularly the leap of faith and risk it takes to build confidence and adaptability, even after rejection, and even more so when you feel scared. Scared of uncertainty, scared that you might fail, scared that you won't be accepted. I know so many of you have heard me talk about expectation, and this idea of really honing in on what we expect can or can't happen in our lives. Confidence is not so much about our ability to succeed at something, but rather all about our belief in our ability to succeed. The good news is, no matter what you believe about yourself today, you can actually change tomorrow or the next day or even the next. Confidence is what we call in the psychology world volitional, which just means by choice. My guest on today's episode of Looking Up is Quigley Goody. You may also know her as Casey Carlson, who in 2009 made it to the top 12 of American Idol. She sang a rendition of Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic by the police in front of judges Randy Jackson, Cara DeGuardi, Paula Abdul, and Simon Cowell. To say they were harsh is an understatement. She was 20 years old and very abruptly kicked off of season eight of American Idol. She was rejected and humiliated on national television, and it took her years to ever sing again. But that isn't the part that is noteworthy. The real story here is her perseverance through her struggle with self-worth and acceptance in the male-dominated music industry, how she has since taken responsibility to create her own reality, new name and all, and her once very real thoughts of having a television show define who she was, which is now just a footnote. That time in her life serves as a powerful source of resiliency, a lifelong motivation to put the work in to truly build real, lasting self-confidence. I love how Quigley has been able to continue being a successful content creator while preserving mental health and finding ways to point out self-growth in the midst of less than an ideal situations, mistakes, and tragedy. My name is Casey Goody, but I'm, I would say, known more as Quigley. 
I used Quigley as a stage name for my music project after I got off of American Idol and I was on season eight. And I had no idea that I would then carry that name over to the brand. I started it as a fashion blog back in 2015. And now we have expanded to not just being a blog, but to being, you know, sort of a lifestyle brand as well as a source of education as well. So that's been really fun over the past two years. We've grown from a team of one to a team of six. You look lovely. It's so nice to see you. I know. Good to see you too. Congratulations face to face on your pregnancy. You guys are having a boy, right? We are. It's, it's, it's an exciting time. I'm obviously very biased, but having a son is pretty much the most incredible thing in the world. He's my little boyfriend. It's unreal. I always thought I was, I would have girls. I don't know why I never imagined having a boy. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what it's going to look like. I was the same way. And actually, I actually cried when I found out I was having a boy. Not that I ever imagined either, but I never like put that much sort of vision into a boy or a girl or anything. I was scared, kind of scared shitless for both. But when I found out I was having a boy, I just, I guess maybe I had somewhere deep down thought I was having a girl. So it was like a lot to process. And now I can't even imagine anything differently. I'm obviously biased. I feel bad for my husband. I would love to have a girl one day for him, but the boy is just, he's mine. (laughs) And I feel you on that. I feel you for sure. I actually am like, that's definitely, you know, a mama's boy situation is, you know, you can't be mad at it. No, not at all. But before we start, we always start this podcast with a little section that I like to call looking in. And it's just a few rapid fire personal questions in which myself and the listeners can get to know you a little bit personally, maybe past how they know you professionally. So without much thought or judgment, just answer the questions, whatever comes to mind. (laughs) I'm ready. Okay. Is there a book or a quote or a piece of advice that you have heard or a book that you've read that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? Absolutely. A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm, That's a really good one. Okay. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. People think I'm an extrovert, but I'm actually an introvert. Use three words to describe yourself as a teenager during your high school years. Obsessed. Shy and focused. Mm. Okay. How many unread emails do you have in your inbox right now? 78,000. Oh my God. I finally, I finally found my counterpart. After all these interviews I've been doing, literally everyone that I have interviewed is a zero inbox or like under a couple hundred person. And I, (laughs) I, oh my goodness. Well, you have more than me. I have like almost close to, I'm pushing 31,000, but like, yes, I found my girl. (laughs) I like to think that the people that can find order amidst chaos are the ones that are going to change the world. I love that. I'm so, I'm so for that. When is the last time you cried? You know what? I'm actually so proud that I have to think about this because it's usually within a a few days, (laughs) but I would say probably two weeks ago. The last song you listened to all the way through. Oh, The Things I Never Said by Jordy. Mm, New artist, look him up. All right. Without much thought or judgment, three things that have brought you joy today. Water, Mm. my dogs, and a nice long hug from my husband. 
I love that. Okay, Quiggs, are you an optimist? Absolutely. What does optimism mean to you? To me, optimism means having unwavering faith that you can create your own reality the way you view it. Mm. So because I so strongly believe that thoughts create the reality that unfolds around us, if I maintain a positive outlook and look for abundance, then I will find it. And Mm. so that to me allows infinite amount of hope because I feel that sense of agency. I love that. And I also love that right before that, it was, there was this idea of perspective and like how you perceive your reality. Another part of optimism that is so important and that what we focus a lot with this podcast um, and all the interviews are, is this idea of resiliency and growing through struggle. And I love that in the intro, you brought up American Idol. And I actually have to say that before I reached out to interview you, I had no idea that, and I'm sure a lot of people had no idea that you actually were a contestant on American Idol. And I started to do a little digging and I watched your performance of every little thing she does or he does, you changed it to in in the song. And I have to say, I thought you were amazing. And at the same time, I was actually like, I was full of anger when I heard the judges. Like, actually, I just, I, I couldn't, I don't know. So you guys, if you've seen it out there, Casey or Quiggs was on American Idol and you made it until they get to the top 12, right? Correct. Yeah. And I want you to go through what that experience was like for you. But at the same time, I just want to preface it and prep everyone with the fact that watching it might anger you because some of the things that the judges said, I just found to be so inappropriate. One of the female judges, I don't even actually know who she was, but she was like, you know, undoubtedly, we know all the boys love you. People think you're hot and but your singing right now is atrocious and you picked the wrong song. But like, I don't, uh, people think you're hot. Like they just kept coming back to the fact that like people think you're hot. And by the way, her singing was not atrocious whatsoever. They were just harping on the fact that you picked the wrong song. And one of the people, again, a woman, I think it was the same one, by the way, please tell me in a second who it is because I had no idea who she was. It wasn't Paula Abdul, it was someone else. But she literally was like, I just wish you would have picked a girly anthem. Like, what the hell? What does that mean? Yeah. So that was Cardio Guardi. Still don't and know who that is. She She's a, a songwriter. And she was brought on for, I want to say, only two, maybe only one season of the show. And gosh, where do, where do I even begin? I mean, overall, my experience on the show was boiled down to so much having to do with my looks and not my talent that I really felt like I got the message from the television industry and the media that that was all they cared about, which was pretty hard. I mean, at the time I was 19 to 20 when I was on the show. So I was still like at a very impressionable age in terms of my identity. We can get into that later, but that was really hard. And then, you know, when it came down to the song choice, it was like, a girly anthem. Okay. Well, I picked a song by the police and I really like my intention was to 
because it's a very like 80s pop song. And I really wanted to break it down and arrange it in a way where I could just be sitting on the stage with one guitar player and do more, like do it in a more like broken down intimate ballad. Little did I know I wasn't at a stage in the competition where I had that choice. So it was really disappointing because I had no say in the arrangement at all. They just mm. picked it. I was bummed, but I tried to make the most out of it. I had a theater background, so I had very animated and just like, you know, very performative. And I think that mm-hmm. they were definitely reacting off of like my extreme facial expressions. Now, which watching back, I'm like, okay, definitely didn't have as much experience as I would have wanted to like performing in that kind of arena or performing to a camera because it's just very different than being mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, the rejection was something that took me about 10 years to really process. And I still am not even sure I have. So the idea of the rejection and, and partly I'm sure it's because a, you were young, you're impressionable, anybody you're on national television. What did that do to your confidence at the time? So right after the show, I get back, I go back to the University of Minnesota where I was studying. I go to school and I have a lot, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. I have like, people are encouraging me, families encouraging me, everybody's asking what's next, what's next. And it was an exciting time, but a few months pass and you realize that you're tied up in contracts and you realize that the show doesn't care about you. Like they just chew you up and spit you out and then you're just left to pick up the pieces. And so I Mm. felt extremely lost more than anything and just aimless, (laughs) like a chicken Mm. with my head cut off. It wasn't until a little bit later when I actually re-entered the music industry that I realized the kind of damage that the show had created, if that makes sense. Mm. So there was all Mm -hmm. this hype. Then it was like, I don't know what to do. Then when I finally moved to LA a year later, and started actually pursuing the music industry, going on writing sessions, meeting managers, that kind of stuff, meeting people in the industry and actually working. That's when I realized that all these insecurities were coming out from the show. Yes. And did they sort of manifest in a way of feeling like your worth was more based upon your physical sense and not really with the talent and and the, the, your own talent that you were you were growing, you know, and it didn't, did you feel at some point during it, like that's not even what people care about and it's not what what matters. So what's the point? Oh, absolutely. And the music industry is notorious for being sexist. It just Mm -hmm. is. I mean, you listen to the radio right now and actually you listen to the radio forever. And the, the songs on the radio are not produced by women, period it will blow people's mind to realize that like female producers, they just don't really exist. I mean, they, they're, they're so few and far between that in order to make it in the music industry, you've got to be in the room with the right guy. Mm -hmm. And if you've been told that that's all people care about, then it, it just really fucks with you. And it's interesting because that's so true. The two female judges on that panel couldn't have been more sexist because that's probably how they were completely shaped and exactly in, in within the industry, the stuff coming out of their mouth that couldn't happen right now. I hope, I hope it couldn't happen. I hope so. I mean, like every day I'm surprised what is happening. Even just then, which was only a handful of years ago, it was jarring to see. Yeah. And I don't know, like who's to say if I would have seen it then, would I have thought it was as jarring? I don't know. But today watching it, I was shook by it. And I loved your response when 
Simon or whatever was just like, so like, it was so condescending the way he said it, but he was just, so how do you think this went? The three judges just like completely, you know, chewed you up and spit you out. And you were, and I love your response. It was like, well, I had a lot of fun. I'm so glad you said that. And I could see that it was obviously, it's painful for anyone to be rejected, but on a stage and for your craft and at the same time be given these like weird side-handed compliment, you know, like comments that are super sexist and weird. I know it's looking back on it. It's so, it's icky. It's, it's embarrassing for them, honestly. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it led me to where I am now. So ultimately, you know, you let's bring it full circle to the resilience piece. Yeah. It taught me a lot, you know, the whole experience. Yeah. What did it teach you? Well, I mean, the first thing was, you know, I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up in a very sheltered middle-class white suburb of Minneapolis that was just so in its own little bubble. So I think one of the best things about the show was just that it got me out of that. Yeah. Got me into a new environment, meeting people I had never met from across the country, you know, from all walks of life. And that was something that was the probably the most valuable, the whole experience. And then it was also just realizing that what we see in the media isn't always real. I thought I was entering a singing competition, but it really turned out to be a television show. I turned out to be mm-hmm. a cast member. And so it put things in perspective in that sense. It just broadened my view of the world and of how media affects people. And then lastly, you know, with the struggles that I did go through afterwards with my identity and my sexuality and how my worth played out as a woman, I had to explore those things Mm -hmm. because it was going to get handed to me at some point. And it, it got handed to me in a very public way, but I do feel like I grew from it and I feel like I came out stronger and I feel like I'm thankful for those lessons because now it it's a driving force for me because my blog is to help women with confidence. Yeah. My blog is intended to help women shape their identities and explore, you know, their relationship with themselves, their relationship with technology and kind of ties back to a lot of the themes that I was exploring after the rejection. So do you still sing? Yes. That's amazing. You should. It's, you have a beautiful voice. Thank you. Thank you. I took a hard break from singing after I was out in LA for about three, four years before I decided I was kind of just needed to pivot away because it was becoming too toxic for me. Right. And that's when I started my blog and, you know, having a fashion blog for me was completely out of left field. I never imagined going into the fashion industry but it was just this creative outlet that had no pressure and was more controlled by women than men. Yes. And, and controlled by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You could sort of really narrate the story. Exactly. And so I love that. I felt like the writing that I always wanted to do with my music, I could finally do in my own time, in my own terms. And the message, like I didn't, like when you're writing a song as a musician, you like hang on to it on your laptop for years before you can put it out. And it's like, yeah. But then as a blogger, you, you write your thoughts and you can immediately connect with people about it. Yes. So true. And both are sources of vulnerability, but one seems to be 
an easier way to let go of and sort of connect in a more instant way. Like there's something amazing about blogging and sharing your story and your experience and immediately getting other people to say like, thank you so much for sharing. I feel the same way or helping to make people feel less alone. I think it's a huge part. And I love that after your experience coming out here to LA, I think I love that you have sort of utilized all of that to do what is most important for you, which is help people build confidence and help women build confidence. And it's something that I'm really gathering from your story. Like you've worked on that and you appear to be someone that is very confident. And I don't think it's just something that hit you in the head one day or dropped into your lap because you asked, you know, the universe for it. I think that maybe there is part of that and you visioned it, but you worked really hard for it and you did go through struggle. I mean, you built it. It's, it's grit. Thank you. Would you say that that experience, partly the idle time, partly figuring out your identity as a musician and what you could offer and moving to LA, was that one of your biggest struggles or darkest moments? Or is there something else that comes up that you've had to work through that you've really grown from? Well, if you would have asked me that when I was 27, I would have said, absolutely. It's the hardest thing I've ever gone through. When I was 27, I had just met my husband now and his dad passed away unexpectedly. And it was, I don't know if I want to say the terms because it's really upsetting and it will go pretty deep, but he, there was a robbery involved and yeah, he was shot and killed. Oh my God. And it was, yeah. <laughs> oh my. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm like laughing an uncomfortable laugh at the moment. Um, but that no. would be 100% to this day, the most traumatizing slash hardest thing I've gone through. And we, uh, actually just last fall was the trial. So sitting through a murder, <gasps> murder trial, definitely. Oh my definitely gosh. Up there. How many years was that? It, it took over five years to get wow. everything settled. And it's still not technically settled because of COVID, they had to push back the, or the sentencing. Wow. And where, where's your husband from? Is he local to LA? So this happened somewhere that he wasn't Mm -hmm. and he wasn't there. Wow. Oh my gosh. That is just, I'm so sorry. That's awful. And there's no way to ever prep for that. I mean, it just came out of left field and I can imagine how much anger and Yeah, that's been a a huge, huge life learning experience for both of us and definitely has obviously been very hard, but it's brought us so close and me with his family as well. So do you guys feel as a, as a couple together that there are some rituals or practices that you've developed to work through, you know, such a dark, horrible experience that has helped you guys really grow and something that you guys do together? And is it maybe like communication or have you learned how to, sounds like it has brought you closer, which I know a lot of times a traumatic experience from just a um, professional perspective with working with couples can either really bring you closer and you have to work at it, or sometimes it can really set people apart, but it sounds like it's done the first for you guys and brought you closer. And in what ways, how, how have you guys dealt with it together as a couple? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing that I think is the most obvious answer is we started seeing a therapist together and that Mm -hmm. was actually before we got married. So 
you know, we get back to LA, our lives are just kind of turned upside down and we decided to start seeing a therapist together. And I think most couples who are two years into their relationship haven't gotten there yet. So for us to get on that really early in our relationship was very helpful. Our therapist, best therapist I've ever had. Like I've never had one solo that I like as much as my therapist. Yeah. Hopefully no one out there is listening and hears that. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, so she's the best. And she really gave us so many aha moments for us working on our communication together and also having patience for the different grieving processes that both of us mm-hmm. were going through. I think I didn't feel since I was so new to, you know, I had only met mm-hmm. Alex's father uh, maybe like five times. So I felt like an outsider and that I wasn't really allowed to yeah. grieve and that like, there wasn't space for, for me to go through my own process. And so it was just sort of like navigating the different stages of us being at different places in different times. Yes. And allowing each other to, and being there for that, even though you're in a completely different space than the other one or place. So you now have blogging is full is your full-time career. You've made it a successful business as much as it sounds like it is your passion and calling and you've been able to sort of have that ultimate do what I love and actually sustain myself with it. Mm -hmm. How do you balance being transparent and sort of this idea of still giving people the real real while also obviously showing them the highlight reels? Absolutely. Juggling between the two of those has been A, really hard. But B, I also feel like it's what has propelled me forward mm-hmm. in my own exploration of balancing the two. Because as a musician, I started my Instagram as this artistic platform where I was going to create this identity around the artist and the music that I was creating. And it was very much like almost a science experiment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, what kind of pop star do I want to be? So I got to use my imagination. And a lot of the first photo shoots that I did were just me thinking about what do I want my album cover to be like? And I just got to go off in these crazy directions and really not limit myself. I wasn't documenting my everyday life. I was trying to come up with a brand. Mm -hmm. Essentially, I'm, you know, building all these crazy photo shoots. I'm going to more and more exotic locations and more going to more and more you know, high fashion clothing. I'm working with better and better and better photographers and it starts to snowball into this, like, how do I one up myself? Mm -hmm. And I loved it in a sense because it was stretching my creativity and I was using my imagination. And eventually I realized I'm an art director. Mm -hmm. I'm an artist. This is my art. Putting together these photo shoots is my art. But then I think the real aha moment hit me when I realized people don't really know. People think this is my life. Right. But this is actually my art. So how do I tell them that, you know, these shoots that I've been doing, this is not like I just go waltz up to a street corner and I just snap a picture and run away. It's like right. the whole production. There's a lot of preparation and planning and and visualizing of it and then creating it and executing it. So there's a lot of time that goes into it. Yeah. So I realized essentially that I wasn't showing people the full picture. And I kind of realized that through my own insecurities and my own jealousy in seeing other people's work and wondering 
how they did it. How did they pull mm-hmm. that off? How'd they get to go to that crazy hotel and that beautiful place and shoot in that amazing dress? Like, what did they do? Like, how do they have time to do everything they did? And it was like this sort of jealousy that was an indicator of, okay, well, if I'm jealous of other people's content and what other people are doing, then how are people feeling about my content? Because mm-hmm. obviously I did not want to start a blog to make people jealous. Right. But it kind of ended up transforming into that. And then once I had that, that realization of, okay, I need to let people in on what's really going on here. Then I felt like I was able to show people both sides of the Quigley, who's an artist and the Quigley, who is a real person and documenting her real life. And now I'm like a total mess of both. And I love it. I love that. The way that you describe it, like the first way of I'm the creative director and I'm just in the scene. And I'm I'm putting it all together. And the the real like the real sort of like what you were getting out of it is like the creative hit. As much as someone just looking at it is like, wow, she looks beautiful in that dress at that hotel in this exotic location. And that's what someone might get out of it. And wow, what an amazing life she lives. For you, it was like, this is my job. This is my passion. I just put together this like awesome shoot and the way I blended together color and feel and and all of that. It's like a different, it's totally different. And I haven't really heard anyone describe it that way before. And it kind of makes sense. It just makes sense in in like a very healthy way. It makes a lot of sense. Well, I was, see, I started as like an escapism from the music industry. I started because I was like, oh God, I need to be creative without these limits. Right. It was an art. It's an art form. I like how you said it is an art form and it wasn't documenting my like just normal day-to-day life. Having said that, do you feel like people, as much as I know that they like that and they probably come to, to your space for inspiration, do you feel like you get a lot of engagement when you just share who you are as a person with all of that stripped away and, you know, the moments in your life that aren't so curated? And then also, do you feel like people are interested in your behind the scene story of how you created that literally. Yes, yes. And yes. (laughs) So I would say that I actually hit a total roadblock at a certain point in my career because I wasn't sharing and I was going to great places, shooting photos that were better than I'd ever shot before in clothing that was amazing. And I just felt like nobody cared. It wasn't resonating. (laughs) Nobody cared. And then I was like, well, what is it that I'm not sharing? And what I wasn't sharing was my writing. And I'm a writer. Like why Mm -hmm. use Instagram only for photos? I can use my captions too. And so I started kind of using my captions as a means to journal. And even though at the time I wasn't quite sharing raw and unfiltered images, I was at least like, taking excerpts from my journal, turning them into photo shoot ideas. And it was still like something more. And so people Mm -hmm. started to develop a deeper connection with me. And then it took me almost a year to like break out of this mindset that I had to have the perfect feed and the perfect grid (laughs) to finally just like toss up a picture of me in my backyard, no makeup, no filter, being like, I don't need a fancy dress. I don't need makeup. I don't need a location. Here I am, bitches. Yeah. And it, I'm sure that felt empowering. It was so liberating. And I had, and I taught, I started more conversations that day with women about the app and about all the toxic elements of the app and about all of our 
like just insecurities to growth to every, all the topics I wanted to talk about, I was finally talking to people about. And I was like, this is it. I love that. So you're able to blend both and still kind of create the art that you love, but also get raw. When I started sharing things about my personal life and experience, for me, it was really big in pregnancy. And I did not have at all the type of pregnancy that I, A, thought I was going to have, but also B, I did not have the type of pregnancy that I saw anywhere else, anywhere over the gram. I mean, everyone looked to be having, even like colleagues of mine or people in the field, everyone, there was a lot of people pregnant at the same time as me. And I just felt like there must be something wrong with me because I actually had something called hyperemesis gravidarum along with a bunch of other things that happened in my pregnancy. But I threw up like 35 times a day on average. And I was so sick and I was not excited about being pregnant. Um, And I just kept seeing these people in the most beautiful like bohemian dresses, like walking barefoot in like poppy fields, like with their beautiful bellies. And I felt so strange. I didn't even share I was pregnant until around six months because I went to my brother's wedding and obviously I was pregnant and people saw it. And the reason I was like, I, I, I was like, why am I not sharing it? And I think it's because I knew if I just shared some beautiful picture of me pregnant, I would feel really inauthentic because it was just so far from what I felt. Totally. And so the first thing I shared when I was pregnant was like everything I just said and the throwing up and the, all of it. And I was definitely felt insecure. I was a person in the health and wellness world. I was gluten-free and uh, on an anti-inflammatory diet um, for nine years. I got pregnant and all I could, all I could keep down was egg McMuffins from McDonald's. I definitely went through that phase in my pregnancy. (laughs) And when I shared it, like the most amazing thing happened. Like so many people came out of the woodworks to be like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I feel the same exact way. And I've never seen anyone that I could relate to. And I'm sitting here and blah, blah, blah. And I've never heard of this before. And and of course, hyperemesis is pretty rare, but it just felt like it was the first time I feel like I shared something, exposed myself really authentically. And I actually got like a very positive, I was like, oh, maybe this is what this is for. I definitely promised myself from that time forward to share transparently. And I've never regretted it. I really haven't. I know we talked about some of the darkest moments and biggest struggles and the things you've worked through, but what do you think is the thing you're most proud of or feel a great deal of success about? Well, right now it's the fact that I'm growing a human. Yes. Yes. No small feet. I mean, what? I know. (laughs) It's been bonkers. I'm, I've always been a science geek. I love the human body. I love the brain. I love everything. And so this whole time, I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been fun. But besides that, I would say, I think what I'm most proud about is all of the individual one-on-one relationships that I feel my business has brought into my life Mm -hmm. from the colleagues that I work with to the people who follow me and interact with me. I just feel like I've grown so much from like, it's my platform. I consider to be a collective art in the sense that like, it's not just about the photos that I post and the story that I post, but it's about the response and the dialogue that 
comes from my audience alongside it. And so I feel like I'm continuously being shaped by them as well. And that helps me grow as a person, especially over the past month. I, especially over the past month, I feel like I've learned so much about myself and what kind of person and what kind of leader I want to be. And like all of that is through my audience. I feel so lucky. I know that we kind of talked about the singing and maybe people out there that follow you already knew that I, for one, it was new for me, which I think is amazing. And I hope to hear you sing someday. Um, I don't know, maybe you could sing something right now, but anyway, um, (laughs) but are there any other sort of interesting hidden talents or things that you're good at that maybe someone doesn't know? Well, to be honest, more than singing, I love producing. So when I, Mm. after I moved to LA, I got into a relationship with a producer, surprise, surprise. Yes. And I learned how to produce music. And honestly, that's the best thing that he could have ever given me. It was kind of a toxic relationship, but that being said, I learned so much from him. And yeah, I produced music. I produced my full EP, not wow. a person touched it. I mixed it, mastered it. So that would probably be the thing that I'm actually, you know, I take that back. I'm most proud of that, man. Yeah. That's amazing. Being from Minneapolis, I have to just ask, I have been told, I have some good friends from there. I haven't talked to them in a while, but I actually in a past life used to work at a record label. I worked at Epitaph Records and I became really, really good friends and close with one of our bands and we're still close, but they they were a band from Minneapolis called Motion City Soundtrack. That do you sounds, know them? Yeah, that sounds really familiar. How do I know? I know them. And they're amazing. Yeah. They're so good. But two things, from them and their friends, I learned there is an amazing like county fair. And one day I want to go and eat cheese Cheese curds. curds. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And then the second thing is I want to go see a show at First Ave. (laughs) Okay. Fun story about First Ave. I did have the lovely pleasure of getting to see Prince there. Ah, Um, amazing. And I don't mean see him perform. I mean, I literally was at my friend's show and he walked in. And he walked, wow. he walked past us, went into the back, strapped on a guitar and was going to go on stage with them as like in their encore, but then like randomly didn't. It was so weird. Like when he walked by me, it was just, I mean, he's like the number one Minnesota legend. So it was. Wow. Pretty- yes. That is so cool. I wonder if you would have sung a Prince song. I'm sure American Idol would have had something to say about that too. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. I would die for you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That Can you probably, imagine? That was, that was probably on my list of songs to sing because that's one of my favorite songs all the time. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Five years from now on a random Tuesday, what does that look like for Quigs? If everything <laughs> went the way in which you created your reality? I have a five-year-old son and I have a two-year-old daughter. <laughs> Good. Um, and I have somehow managed to convince my sister and her husband to move to LA and my mom and my dad <laughs> to move to LA. And I've got an office space where we are running the social media brand and I've got a book coming out. What else? I, yeah, I mean, I just, and I hope I'm at a park somewhere. 
I'm hope I hope I'm somewhere, somewhere yeah. outdoors. Maybe by a lake. I love that. Very good. Where does the name Quigley come from? Yeah, so Quigley is actually my grandmother's maiden name. So just when I was choosing my stage name, I didn't want to go with Casey Carlson, my maiden name, just because I didn't want when people, you know, Googled my name to just see only American Idol. I wanted a fresh slate. So I picked another family name. My mom's maiden name is Potter and that was already branded. So we went with grandma's. Do you feel like it kind of helped you, especially when I hear you talking about sort of when you started the brand being kind of like the art director and and sort of almost like a character that you could create these scenes and the characters in the scenes and they didn't have to necessarily be what your everyday life was like. They were more fantastical or did it help to sort of have a different name and sort of a different, a different presence? So like is Quigley a little bit different than Casey? Yes. Totally. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's interesting the way our names shape us. Yeah. You don't pay attention to it. But then when you give yourself a stage name, you just have this freedom to reinvent yourself in whatever way you want to. And it's kind of fun. I think there's a book called, have you read Alter Ego? I haven't read Altered Ego, but I have read some research in given names and like how they psychologically really do impact us, which made, I I actually read it when I was pregnant. Cause I was like, this is so difficult naming your child because like, and some people are like, what? It's not a big deal. It's just a name. And I'm like, it is a big deal. It's like how they, everything about them when they have a name, like it can either, it can drive them in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. I just think that like, I'm interested in that. And like, what a liberating sort of, cool way that all of that had given you to be able to create a stage name and then make it sort of your brand and it still lives and it can live on the way you want it to live on and still kind of keep Casey like for Casey. I don't know. I think that's so cool. I'm sure they have a lot in common. (laughs) They do. I mean, I, I, it was just, I think at the end of the day, I just wanted that blank slate. I guess it was that realization that we, we have the power to give ourselves that at any time if we just decide to. Yes. So my last question for you before we end is what's looking up? So what are you most excited about? Do you have any projects on the horizon that we can get excited about? Um, And like, what are you most hopeful about? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I'm the most hopeful about becoming a mother because that's just been something that has been a part of who I want to become for my entire life. And so I'm like most looking forward to that relationship and how that's going to transform me. Let's see from a business standpoint. Yes. Like I said, we've been, so we have, our team has like gone from, well, two plus my manager to now me, my graphic designer, my assistant, my manager, my photographer, Facebook ads person, marketing person, and my husband. Did I say him already? we've got a bigger team now. (laughs) Um, and so we have, um, I, I think what I'm most excited about is just figuring out everybody's role now that we have new people, like all the new projects that we can start. And so bringing on my husband has been really exciting because he is going to spearhead our coaching and mentoring program. So I finally, I I finally got to poach him Cool. because he has been working in marketing, um, for spirit, uh, company 
for the past like five years. And I, every like few months, I'm like, are you sure you don't want to come work for me? Are you sure? <laughs> and so now he's finally coming to work for, for me and for the brand, which he's obviously helped build. He's a big part of our brand. And yeah, he's going to, he's an amazing public speaker and is just so freaking good on camera that he's going to just start coaching people one-on-one and then also hopefully doing corporate social media coaching as well. Cool. I love that. And I saw just today that you guys launched, you launched a handbag collection, right? Yeah. So we started, so last year was my first dive into any sort of design collaboration with Amazon fashion. And then this year we kind of scaled it back and just did something more, I don't know, nitty gritty, smaller, smaller scale production with this amazing company based out of Utah called Nena and company. And we're really excited to put those out. It's a very limited run. And um, those are going to be out on July 1st. It's a belt bag and um, a little micro tote. So yeah, hopefully doing more design projects in the coming future. And one more thing. Oh, wait, it's top secret. Can't say it yet. Oh, (laughs) we almost got it. We almost got it, guys. Well, keep us posted and you guys can always follow along at Officially Quigley. Also, you're just so fun to follow. And I love seeing the things that your husband gets up to. Like sometimes he might be in a robe with like a mask on and like curlers in his hair. You never know. (laughs) To end off looking up, we always ask our guests to pull a things are looking up card. If you don't know, this is my my little baby. So things are looking up optimism card deck and each card has a holistic or science-based prompt or suggestion that actually increases optimism and resiliency. So this little recording that you've done comes with homework and I'm going <gasps> to pick it for you. So here are the cards. Let's see. It's going to be totally random. This one's your card. It's pretty. Reflect and intentionally focus on something that's going well for you right now and then thank yourself for your part in creating that. Well, that's a good one. You have so much going on for you right now. What came up for you? Oh, a baby. A baby. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. You're doing a good job, Mama. I'm thankful. He's, he's growing. I'm at 24 weeks. I, I was going to say, I have no idea what my birth plan is. I've been stressing about that, but... Don't even put too much thought into that because let me tell you, from one mama to another, you can have a birth plan and the world and the universe has a different plan for you. So oh, for I would sure. say that... It's nice to have a plan, but if there's one bit of advice I can give you at the topmost of your plan, just have this huge word called flexibility and whatever is safest, let it come. I hope that will be the case. At the moment, I don't know if I'm doing a hospital, home birth or birthing center. So as long as I at least just have the location down, yes, I'll feel yes. less stressed. I wish you all the best and I'm so excited for you and you're going to love being a mom. You already are a mom. You're going to love it. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Thank you. It's been so fun. Maybe next time we'll get to hear you sing. Oh yeah. Or you could just, you know, leave us off with something right now. What do you want to hear? I mean, I'm, I'm always down for all of the favorites you you talked about. Into my head, Anastasia. (laughs) Oh, come on, do it. Okay. I used to sing this song with my dad um, when we would go to my great grandma's nursing home and he'd bring his guitar and we'd sing it for <laughs> the the people in the like lunchroom area. That's so sweet. Um, okay. We were strangers starting out on a journey, never dreaming what we'd have to go through. 
Now here we are, and I'm suddenly standing at the beginning with you. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. <laughs> that was so good. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. That yeah. I'm taking that into my day now. Oh, Thank hey. you. <laughs> Lots of love to you, Quigs. Bye. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Shaw Day by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.